Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, the real baseball season is back. We did it. We made it. We got through the off season. We're here. Opening day happened for 2018. And uh, we're watching real baseball. That matters. How are you feeling? I am feeling good. I, A's performance aside. Yeah, I look at this st- unbiased host. <laughs> I am stoked that baseball is back. Uh, almost as stoked as one Andrew Yang who is just out here rooting on any any baseball oh, team he can God. find. Here I am, sitting here trying to think about how to start the show, and I come up with a plan, and then you bring up Andrew Yang, unprompted, uh, without warning, without you know, telling I, me that you were going to I had to do it to him, you know? I mean, well, this, is, this is important. This is the, the race of the, of the century. Like, I don't, you know, Mookie bets for, for MVP or Juan Soto, I don't care about that. I'm just curious who Andrew Yang is standing at on any given week. It does seem like he wants to be a Mets fan, but right. probably well, grew up a Yankees fan. Right. Well, well, we, when we talked about him a few, a few weeks ago, he was in theory saying he was a Mets fan, right? It was like bouncing back and forth between the Knicks and the Mets. And then right. yet here he is on opening day in front of Yankee stadium, just, just hanging out, you know, he's trying to unite all of New York right. universal basic fandom. Where you you root for all of the New York teams all at once, and there's no rivalries. That's pretty good. That way, you always come out on top. Yeah, exactly. Except for when neither of those teams have won a World Series in the last ten years. Okay, mm-hmm. question for you. We are recording this on Sunday afternoon Pacific time. Uh, it is Easter. Happy Easter, Bobby. Happy Easter to you as well. Um, I don't celebrate. I'm not sure that you celebrate, but G- Jesus has risen, and and so too has. Um, Jazz Chisholm. Jazz Chisholm. But uh, the Orioles are about to complete their opening weekend sweep against the Red Sox in dominating fashion. Dominating fashion. 0.0% chance who. Uh, Hypothetically speaking, if the Red Sox were to just continue to lose, not win a game, I I personally think it's pretty funny right now because they're the Red Sox. And they're starting out 0-3. You know, they traded Mookie. I think it's still fun to dunk on them a little bit. How many games would they have to lose in a row before you started to feel really genuinely bad for Red Sox fans? Like, Tommy at the Boston bar watching this game, you would feel bad for him at loss number what to start the season? I mean, there's definitely a sense of schadenfreude, right? Where you you take great pleasure uh, in... In watching this franchise that has really just stuck the, their middle finger out to their their fan base in some regards. So it's, you know, you feel very stuck in the middle, right? Because institutionally, I wish the Red Sox years of, of pain, right? Babe Ruth curse 2.0. Knowing, knowing that there are thousands, millions of fans that, you know, this may take a toll on, take, makes it a little harder. But then again, you come back knowing that like half of them are racist, so you start to feel a little better about it again. Right? That's what I'm saying. Like so, so for you, for the 
the stereotype of the Boston fan who sucks, loves Barstool. How many losses before you would start to be like, genuinely be like, any human being, I feel bad that they had to watch their team go, oh, and blank to start the season. So the Orioles last year had a, you know, a 19-game losing streak. Now, for Orioles fans, the bar is much lower, right? Like five or six games in a row. I mean, they could win the game and I'd still come out of the day feeling sorry for them, right? (laughs) Yeah. Matt Harvey looking good, though. Matt Harvey looked pretty good. Can't lie. Absolutely. Dark night. Yeah. Baltimore Harvey in Baltimore, baby. And that's not Hunter Harvey. That's Matt. (laughs) You know, I I think I would would put it at at 20. You know? Probably like 20 games. Because at a certain point... The, the part of there's a part of me that starts feeling bad for the players, not for the franchise, not even for the fans, but for the group of men who are going out there every day and putting it all on the line. You know, I'm the kind of guy who like when the A's eliminate a team in the playoffs, I do kind of feel bad for the other team because I see their no faces and how no, no killer, killer instinct. instinct. I you. see the, the shots after the game of them sitting on the dugout, sitting in the dugout on the bench, yeah. leaning on the fence, just looking forlorn. And I'm like, can't they all win? You know, so. Wow, that's where that's where my head is. I don't. I, do you do you differ in your opinion? Alex participation trophy Paisley over here. Can't they all win? Absolutely. I mean, this is the direction we're headed in. Right. Twenty games Most not teams enough. Make the playoffs. I would still think it was funny uh, for fans of the Red Sox, but uh, because twenty games, that's like twelve percent of a baseball season. You could lose twelve percent of a baseball season. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. Yeah. You still got thirty eight percent to lose before you're under five hundred. You could still make the playoffs, losing twenty straight games to start a season. Very unlikely. <laughs> I don't think that I would think it was unfunny until like 30. Oh, and 30. That's tough. That's tough. Some things have to go seriously wrong. There are college teams that could win one out of 30 games against major league teams. I don't know if that's true. I'm just throwing that out there. Probably not true. But once you hit the 30 mark is when I would start to feel bad for Red Sox fans. (laughs) So like they would have to demolish the record of... A, a losing streak to start the season, which again also What's belongs the to the Orioles of 21 games <laughs> in 1988. Ooh, 88. tough year. Tough year for Orioles fans. Tough year for Mets fans, too. Oh, that, they should have won the World Series that year, too. Uh, okay. Well, we have plenty to talk about uh, because real baseball is back, uh, unless you're a Mets fan or a Nationals fan. Uh, so let's get right into it. But before we do, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Faison. And this is Tipping Pitches. Alex, the Mets and Nationals just just punted on their weekend series because uh, of this little thing called COVID-19. You remember that? Yeah, not, not over yet. Because it seems like Major League Baseball and its announcers and broadcasts have kind of treated it like we're, we're fully through it yet. Yeah, we just we made not. it. Mm-hmm. 10,000 fans in the stands and you know what it's it's nice that we're finally getting back to normal folks yeah uh it was such a weird reminder i mean it, it wasn't surprising i mean there are probably moments on this pod throughout the last couple months or just in conversation where we were like there's probably gonna be a similar outbreak one or two times as we had with the marlins and cardinals last year but nobody really expects it to happen right off the bat and it's almost like it's almost too perfect perfect is the wrong word because it's obviously scary uh it's a scary 
snap back to reality if you're a fan of either of those teams or if you're just a fan of baseball or you're a fan of good pop public health policy. Um, but it's almost too perfect the way it worked out happening opening day reminding everybody that like, oh, MLB is still just kind of powering through all of this stuff. And I think that you and I have come to the point where we're like, I don't expect MLB to just punt on two straight years uh, because of the pandemic and they're going to institute these policies and the players are going to uh, acknowledge and agree to them as a union and agree to play so that they don't miss two seasons of their career. But at the same time, it just goes to show it's a little weird to have this sort of jolly tone that we're all back with fans in the stands. It's in stark contrast to the fact that there are still real dangers out here and we still need to take this very seriously. And I think coalesces with the whole stream of quotes coming out from some baseball players being like, I don't know about the vaccine. You know, just a general kind of apathy apathy towards the vaccine. And I understand how from from the union's perspective, they have to be like, well, we're never going to force any of our players to take any medical treatment. Because it is a personal choice. But then for every for a lot of players to come out and say it's a personal choice without also characterizing what that personal choice means from a national public health policy perspective. It's just all been a little bit of a murky start to the season. For me as a fan of one of those teams specifically, but for everybody who really cares about this shit. So what is it that the Nationals are doing around opening day that is uh, that's making this? Because this is two years in a row. Yeah. <laughs> Is it just uh, it's just bad luck, right? Yeah, like, I, I guess. Right. I mean, like no one, none of us can sit here and point fingers. And there's obviously been a lot of uh, uh, people online, online fans, online Mets fans, saying, you know, the Nationals, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, get it together over there. And obviously, we have no way of of understanding what happened, when, if, where protocols were violated. No idea. So it's it's pointless to speculate. But yeah, it's it's one of those it's one of those situations where you can't just you can't just close your eyes and pretend it's not there, you know. Like we can't just pretend we we don't have object permanence when it comes to COVID nineteen. Like even if even if the numbers aren't as high as they were a year ago, and and even if we don't can't have fans in the stands, like it's still still there. So, yeah, you know. I I saw a ton of Mets fans saying, what's the point of the taxi squad? You know, why can't the Nationals figure this out? This is the second straight year, whatever, like uh, dumb franchise, all this stuff that they were saying about the Nationals players. And I'm like, um, I don't know. I personally don't can't relate to what it's like to be asked to travel for work in a pandemic with these certain protocols and what it might feel like to because of the nature of the way that the virus is still spreading in this country, contract it and and not know and then spread it and feel really genuinely bad about spreading it to your coworkers, your teammates and their families. Like let's slow our roll a little bit about blaming the nationals entirely for all of this. Um, as far as like skipping the series, I think it makes total sense, right? Like it's opening weekend. Yes. They have a taxi squad for a reason in theory, but I don't think that anybody wants the season to start with like 10, 12, 14, however many guys were out because of contact tracing to not actually be on the field. And I don't really think that's fair to the Nationals franchise or the Nationals fans to be like, let's try out a bunch of minor league guys and start them right off the season when like, 
you could just say, okay, Mets, go to Philly, start your season in three days. Like everybody, Mets fans are going to be okay. The Mets, you're going to be okay. And we'll make this game up. We'll make these three games up later in the season. Hopefully, by the time they're ready to make it up, you know, a lot of players have gotten vaccinated. A lot more of the public has gotten vaccinated. And given that the science says that it doesn't spread as well in vaccinated people, we won't have a similar problem. I'm fine with them delaying it. I don't. I didn't yeah, think well, that it was like a weird, like an anti, anti Mets, anti competitive thing. Like some people were throwing out on Twitter. I mean, like what? What are we doing? I mean, baseball as a sport is really well suited for these kinds of things, right? Like double headers are very easy to position into the schedule. Games get rained out all the time, right? It's just a you know, it's part of the game. You play outside, so that's luckily there is plenty of room that is kind of built into the schedule for this sort of thing. And, you know, if you look back to the Marlins last year and their whole outbreak and how that transpired, it was handled terribly. The idea that we have an outbreak, let's go out, let's just play, we, you know, let's do what we can. I, I'm i sure Marlins fans did not enjoy that. I, any teams they were playing against, I'm sure, did not enjoy that either. Like, so much better to nip this thing in the bud Take the weekends, isolate yourselves, and, you know, yeah, bounce back. But I understand that um, some Mets fans are a little anxious to to watch their team. Um, you guys got one or two guys this year who, uh, who could definitely make an impact. That's for sure. Uh, there is, I think you guys got some, got some interesting players over the offseason. I was really looking forward to Lucchese's debut. Mm-hmm. Um Trevor May out of the bullpen was looking really exciting. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Jed Lowry's not manning second base for the Mets, nor was he ever. Although he, I get to watch him when I watch A's games. Right, exactly. Every single day. He's just the most healthy player in baseball now. Uh, no, Alex, of course, of course, Lindor. Lindor. It's, it's a shame that we even waited this long for me to bring it up. Take my... I don't even want to say victory lap because I'm not taking a victory lap over anyone. I obviously still feel for the Cleveland fans who don't get to root for him for the next 10 years, but I'm over the moon. I'm over the moon. Uh, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the, the weird Wednesday that was the uh, extension news leaking back and forth. And then uh, because of the extension news leaking, the sort of discourse cycle that we went through between fans who love the owners and fans who understand player value. Um, but first thing, first things first, I just want to say I get to root for Francisco Lindor for 10 years, 11 years if you count this year, because the extension kicks in after next year. He's on one more year of arbitration, and then the 10-year $341 million extension kicks in next year. Uh, it really seemed like it wasn't going to happen. You know, It, it really, seemed really like did. The yeah. Mets were going to Mets this thing, and then... In, in truly shocking fashion, like this was almost more surprising to me than the trade itself. Because there have been moments throughout my fandom where the Mets have acquired great players. They acquired Carlos Beltran. They acquired Johan Santana. You know, they've given out contracts to free agents before, not of this magnitude. But more often than not, they acquire the player and then they don't properly build for one reason or another. It's either incompetence or cheapness or whatever. And in this instance, I had that very familiar feeling of the Mets barreling towards their fail son innate nature 
where they were going to screw this up somehow over, you know, $50 million or $30 million, or it actually ended up being $16 million over the course of 10 years, which is like, you know, one one thousandth of the fine that Steve Cohen paid to the SEC for doing crimes. And I was like, they're really going to screw this up because they always screw this up. They screwed up the 86 team. You know, they screwed up the 69 Miracle team. They screwed up Tom Seaver's Mets career. They screwed up the 2000 team. That was a lot of fun. And then they never made the playoffs again. They screwed up David Wright's whole career and prime. And they screwed up the 2015 Five Aces team because now Zach Wheeler is the fucking ace of the Phillies. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it felt so familiar. And I felt myself slipping back into it like hand in glove. And then late Wednesday night, 20 minutes after Jeff Passan says no progress has happened, it goes boom. And they sign him. 10 years, 341. And I immediately FaceTime you. Uh, you did. Celebrate. Such, such a, a little, good feeling. A happy, happy birthday gift, you know. Yes, indeed. It's always really interesting to see kind of how the dynamics of these things work out. You, you mentioned uh, kind of comparing it to the, the trade itself, right? And while obviously these are, they feel the same because they are negotiations that involve your team locking up or retaining a player of some sort, right? But the dynamics of the, those negotiations are, are radically different, right? Two teams talking to each other, two front offices versus a the the owner and the player, right? And it is very telling that ownership, now this is maybe an exception to the rule, but ownerships often seem much more willing to allow some sort of sunk costs when it comes to a trade, right? But are very rarely willing to say, you know what? Yes, you may not be performing at the level you are right now in 10 years, but we'll give you this contract because you're going to be worth so much more in you know the immediate future, right? Teams would much rather trade their best player and $50 million to the St. Louis Cardinals, even if it means you're not getting back any top prospects just because of... Austin Gomber hate again. (laughs) Just so much Austin Gomber erasure, who had a really rough MLB debut today. Yes, yes, he did. Yeah. No, you're completely right. You're completely right in that there's such a stark dichotomy between trading for a player and actually extending that player. And for, for... the Mets to actually do it, I, it just feels almost beyond words. Like it feels feels like they're a real franchise now. They're a real franchise in a major market who's actually acting like a real franchise in a major market. Baby's it's so team weird. is all grown up. Baby's team is all grown up. But I think that it's so interesting to highlight for you to highlight that 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 in an instance of a trade, it's usually almost always front office to front office. Now, yes, the owner signs off on the trade. But, you know, Steve Cohen is never going to say no to Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez for Francisco Lindor. Like, extension aside, worrying about whether he's going to have to extend him after that aside, the front office says, here's our expected value back from this trade in terms of on-field performance. And they can say, I think that we should make this trade because he's going to make our team better this year. And that's how a lot of front offices operate. But then when it comes to the actual putting your money where your mouth is, that's where we start to see the more tenuous relationship between players and organizations is when 
the front office is just kind of the middleman and it's really just down to ownership versus the player or ownership negotiating with the player in conjunction. And that awkward time period between when we knew what Lindor wanted or what his agent asked for and when we knew what the Mets made as their quote-unquote final offer, which they then went over, (laughs) I think allowed for people's imaginations to run wild about what was actually going on. And for people to sort of insert their, you know, armchair expert opinions about what a player should get, is worth, and should be valued at alongside, you know, a a group of shortstops that are going to be up in free agency next year. And I think that those imaginations didn't run quite wild enough because people always just look at Lindor or Betts or Trout or these exceptional players who come up for big contracts, Garrett Cole, whatever. And they, they compare them, you know, by their numbers. Is he going to guarantee um, the Mets to win the World Series? And that's just not everything that you need to factor in when you're factoring in holding this guy or keeping this guy in Queens for 10 years. It's just, there is intangible value to him being there for 10 years, having a star to build around for 10 years. And proving to everybody that you're willing to actually put your exorbitant money where your mouth is because yes could another team have extended Lindor for 10 years 325 probably if they if the if Cleveland offered 10 years 325 and he really really wanted to stay there and they were never exploring trading him and that was truly the best offer that Cleveland could have offered do i think that Lindor would have said yes if he really wanted to stay in Cleveland yeah so i don't think that Lindor was only on principle saying I should make 341 or nothing. But look who he's negotiating against. The richest owner in baseball who just bought the team who came in and said, I want to spend money and I want to retain free agents. So it would be malpractice for Lindor and his agent to not ask for more. In the biggest market in baseball, while you're trying to make your organization as well run as the Dodgers, who then also are giving out big, huge contract extensions to Mookie Betts. Like, the agent has to ask for that. And that's how we that that is just the labor landscape that owners have negotiated. That, right. that this is the one that they want. So I don't know. It it was so weird for Mets fans to weirdly turn on him for 12 hours. And now for us to just pretend like none of that ever happened. Yeah. Well, I and I think it's really important to not look at this sort of thing in a vacuum. It's very easy to feel like these are just two, you know couple guys sitting down in a room and hashing it out over like a beer right but it's it's worth pointing out that there is a whole labor ecosystem that works around this sort of thing right so Lindor asking for the most that he can sets a market for for other players like him so he is not necessarily just saying I want to get you know whatever I can get to live a good life, right? Like that is not necessarily the the calculation there. It has much more to do with what is my value on in this quote-unquote free market? And am I getting actually the most that I can? And there was a really interesting nugget in a Jeff Passan article that alluded to the, the CBA expiration at the end of the year. And how there is some speculation among players that the you know the luxury tax cap is basically going to you know is going to go up that's potentially something that's on the table in negotiations and that players are 
you know, maybe a little nervous to sign something right now that could be perceived as below market, you know, 12 months from now, nine months from now. So for people to just, you know, there's always people love to speculate and say, oh, just take the 300 million, you know, you're you're getting paid to play a kid's game, et cetera, et cetera. But like, which it's not a good faith argument that you're making. But point being like the, you know, it's the agent's job, job contractually to say, I'm going to get you every single penny you can get. If I had an agent for my job, I would take it. I would let him negotiate on my behalf, him yes. or her. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Way too many you? people. Wouldn't everyone? Way too many people think that it's their money. Like way, way too many people see themselves in the front office and in Steve Cohen. Like, I know that we talk about this all the time and I know I always get on here and I say it's not your money. So it doesn't matter what they actually settle on. But fans are thinking like five steps down the road for reasons that they don't need to be thinking five steps down the road for. They're thinking like, well, if Lindor signs for 34 million and not 30 million, well, then are we going to miss out on this mid-level reliever in three years that could potentially win us the World Series? Like, no, no. There's no correlation between those two things. If Cohen wants to spend to win the World Series, he'll spend to win the World Series. Look at what the Dodgers just did. They just went tens of millions over the luxury tax threshold just because they could the year after they won the World Series. So it goes to show if ownership groups are willing to actually do it, they can and they can afford it. Yeah, I mean, there's a you know the 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 dreaded like underwater contract is kind of this bogeyman to a lot of fans, right? Oh, like look at Pujols right now; he can't even like run to second base, and they're paying him how much? Et cetera. And it's like, do you not understand all the years of value that he gave the Angels? The reason that his contract looks quote unquote bad now has nothing to do with him or his performance, and it has everything to do with the fact that the Angels were really largely uninterested or simply unable to build a winning team around him, you know, to take advantage of that sort of thing. If the Angels win two World Series and Albert Pujols leads the way, is it a bad contract still? Right? Or does it, is it, does it just look bad because the team was not prudent enough to actually turn it into something productive? Or, or if Albert Pujols gets paid his market value for the first six years of his career or the first however many years of his career that he spent in St. Louis. And therefore it's not in vogue for him to have to negotiate a 10 year contract extension or or a 10 year free agency contract with the angels after that, because he's trying to recuperate some of that value that he created for a different franchise. Then is it a bad contract if it only lasted five years? No, no, of course not. God, I'm so happy that the Mets got Lindor. Let's go for 1 million more than Tatis. Hell yeah. The the one good billionaire, baby. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Twitter conversations that immediately lost the thread, Alex. (laughs) Uh, Nicely done. MLB. Yeah, take a shot for that terrible transition if you you are playing uh, tipping pitches bingo. Uh, MLB is moving the All-Star game out of Atlanta. This comes after, I guess, a couple weeks after the Georgia State House passed a bill that will effectively suppress voters in that state by blocking, you know, by forcing people to show ID when they vote, by blocking people from handing out water and water and food in long lines. It's just an incredibly... Allowing allowing Republicans to gain control over 
uh, Democratic-leaning parts of Georgia, right? Exactly. And allowing them to disqualify votes that maybe don't go their way. On paper, it's an incredibly authoritarian bill as it is, and in practice, it's both authoritarian and incredibly racist. So, MLB had planned to hold their all-star game in Atlanta this year. Um, and there was a... Well, not in Atlanta. That's Cobb County to you. Right. Uh, they had planned to hold their all-star game where the Braves play baseball. Um, and there was, sort of a, there was sort of mounting pressure on MLB to either address the heinous voter ID laws in Georgia and do something about it, or to move the All-Star game out of Atlanta as a way of showing protest of boycotting uh, this law and, and showing that they're not willing to bring some economic value to this area, to, to Georgia, uh, while this is all going on. So they announced that they would be moving it out of, uh, out of Atlanta, out of Cobb County. Sorry, I keep saying Atlanta. <laughs> um, and it came as a really big surprise to a lot of people because this is the type of thing that MLB has been very, very, very cautious to wade into. They'll obviously say and tweet and give a lot of flowery statements about what they're willing to do. But when it comes to... I can point my finger at an action that MLB did as a league, league-wide, not just encouraged individual players or individual teams to go through with, but as a league, as a brand, there were very few of those things. And this is in the same footsteps as the NBA a few years back pulled their all-star game out of Charlotte uh, after North Carolina passed an anti-trans bathroom bill. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this because I have a lot of mixed feelings about how this plays out and because of MLB's reluctance to follow up on commitments or uh, symbolic actions that they take, uh, I'm skeptical about it. But I want to hear what, what you thought about when the news broke that MLB was not going to be hosting their All-Star Game in Atlanta. Well, I think that... I, like a lot of other people, were really kind of taken aback by the news because it was not necessarily something that was on my radar as being like a potential action that Major League Baseball might take, right? Obviously, there's been a growing discussion around the bill and its ramifications, but it had not clicked in my mind, to be honest, that Major League Baseball would really do much to address that because it's has not been proactive about these sort of things in the past, right? So to to get the news about that, I think was frankly refreshing because it showed, I mean, we you know, we can talk all day about kind of how much, you know, whether it's it's a hollow action or not, if this sort of kind of quote unquote protest actually does anything to move the needle, but Ultimately, like it's not an easy decision for Major League Baseball to make, and they know they're going to ruffle some feathers and anger a lot of fans. But it was a decision they made with the the Players Association, with the the Players Alliance as well, and like the the action itself. I don't think you can read it as anything but being a a positive thing, right? 
And the timing of it was especially interesting, given that it was the the second day of the season to potentially kind of seize the narrative from itself, right? It would have made a lot more sense for them to have kind of buried this deeper into the season, uh, you know, instead of kind of taking away from a lot of the opening weekend hype and joy. So in a sense, I do have to kind of hand it to them for... Just being anytime you say I have to hand it to them, I just have to. I'm contractually obligated to say you don't in any case have to hand it to MLB. (laughs) That's you know, the worst worst organization you know makes a great point, right? Like, (laughs) yes, yes. Uh, I do think it's worth also pointing out, and I should have pointed it out in in my sort of rambly preamble explaining the situation that. Last summer... Would you call that a a pre-ramble? Yes, pre-ramble. That's pretty good. We should trademark that. (laughs) Um, Last summer, MLB made their brand-approved anti-racism case totally around voting. Like like a lot of leagues, like the NBA, you know, like a lot of straight-up, frankly, companies and organizations, they basically said, hashtag vote, Everybody go vote. Have your voice heard. That's how we're going to change everything. Everything's going to get better if we vote. And, you know, my feelings on electoralism aside, your feelings on electoralism aside, they can't make that case last summer and then come to this summer and just right. give a give a thumbs up and a nod to Georgia suppressing voter laws. Like, those, it, it wouldn't be unprecedented for MLB to be hypocritical. But in this case, it would have been almost historically hypocritical for them to uh to go through with this all-star game now i i think that there is a world hypothetically speaking in which keeping the all-star game in georgia in atlanta in cobb county and actually focusing on bringing some of that economic value that an event like this can bring to a community actually focusing harnessing that positivity and positive value for a community and directing it towards people who need it most, Black-owned businesses, uh, people who are suffering the most from these voter suppression laws, these Jim Crow era, these Jim Crow style laws. I think that there is a world in which that actually is the ceiling of the positive effect that MLB could bring to this discussion and this debate and this political conflagration that we're facing right now. But we're not living in that world. So I ultimately think that this is the right choice for them to make. Because ultimately what end would have more likely what would have ended up happening is they go and they play the all-star game and they do what they always do, which is they talk about how it's such a celebration of baseball to ha- to play it here in this moment. And we love this community and everything is hunky dory and good. Like they are not equipped to have the type of high level political conversation. And I don't know if they should be or if they can be as the current version of the organization itself, but that's where I ultimately landed because when I first saw it, I was like, well, Atlanta didn't do this. Like a very small group of politicians sitting in a room, ignoring what their constituents actually want did this. And I, I think that it's scary and unfortunate and really sad that the people of Atlanta or the greater Atlanta era area will have to bear the burden and weird culture war argument of this. But I do think that it's I do think that it's ultimately more positive for for 
moving the conversation forward for MLB to be like, well, we're going to pull out of this now because we're not equipped to make this a positive situation over the summer. Yeah, I don't think they have the the political know-how and wherewithal to actually engage in good faith in a, in a discussion around this sort of thing. It's much easier for them to say, to uh, remove their seal of approval, basically, right? Which is, I mean, in the, yeah, in the world we operate in is, I suppose, the most you can ask for. Real, realistically, this has to be followed by something, something else. Right, like you, this cannot be the the period on MLB's engagement with this policy, with the larger conversation around voting rights in the country, because just saying we don't agree with this, so we're not going to play our game there. Frankly, doesn't do doesn't actually do a whole lot. And I think ultimately, as we saw. Well, this just makes a lot of conservatives dig their heels in more to this sort of thing, right? Oh, the 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 liberal Major League Baseball, you know, Major League Baseball, the organization known for being very liberal, very uh, just just commie organizations running it, running it to the ground. The communist corporations that sponsor MLB, exactly. Um, yes. All that being said, this is sort of the tip of the iceberg. Like any conversation that we're having about MLB and uh, symbolic gestures, voting rights, where they're holding their all-star game, where they have teams, where they add teams, all of this stuff is on the periphery of what is the actual meat and potatoes of this conversation, which is where are MLB owners sending their money? Where is MLB as a league sending their money? And you astutely and uh, wittily pointed out on Twitter after the Braves put out a hashtag mad online statement that the, that the all-star game was being taken away from them, uh, that the Braves owner i guess ownership company right parent the, the, company, well, the, the, the owner of liberty media or yes. yeah the, the majority shareholder yeah donates all of their money to to right wing super PACs, which are solely like i mentioned earlier they're they are the pe- small group of people in a room making these laws um right. so if the braves are really bad about this it's not major league baseball you should be mad at no it's uh yourselves um but then what what is the answer there? Like, sorry, billionaires, stop giving your money to people who continue to enshrine your power and influence in this country. That's a bigger conversation. Does MLB want to come out and be like wealth tax? Yeah, no more billionaires. I did think that that uh it was it was fun to see some right-wing politicians come out and say, "Well, now we're going to take away MLB's antitrust exemption." It's like you didn't yeah. give the MLB an antitrust exemption because they're cool and fun and apolitical. You gave them an antitrust exemption because they gave you money. It was a quid pro quo, my friends. Like they're just going to stop giving you money now. So if you wanted to take the antitrust exemption away, you should have just done it a while ago. It had nothing to do with the fact that it had nothing to do with their place in the culture war. It had to do with campaign finance. Right. Hey, I thought I thought we lived in a free market society. You know, I thought uh, private companies could do whatever they want. This is just this is just Major League Baseball just reacting to the market. In fact, conservatives should be celebrating this. Yeah, it's almost like MLB is not actually a private company. Hmm. 
they yeah. are propagated by the antitrust exemption that the U.S. government has given them because of years and years of lobbying and decades and decades of uh, large, large, uncapped and immoral political donations. This is the this is the week that cancel culture came for MLB. Where do you think they're going to put the game? I did appreciate that there were a, a handful of mayors in uh, Major League Baseball cities across the country who were essentially publicly lobbying for the all-star game to be played in their city, which I, <laughs> I respect the grind, man. I, is, I suppose Rob Manfred is, must be at least somewhat online, right? Yeah. I think the most likely scenario is that they move it to LA again, because LA missed mm-hmm. it last year and it would keep the sort of succession of cities that get the game in its proper order, essentially. And not have to, they wouldn't have to reschedule LA to four years from now or whatever. But, um, you know, it's not like California is particularly like great when it comes to voter suppression either. Remember that whole story with like the California Republican Party was like putting up fake mail mail in ballot drop offs. Mm -hmm. And then when they got caught doing it, they were like, we're still going to do it. Yeah. That's what makes this conversation also you know, candidly, incredibly complicated because voter suppression is getting worse everywhere. Right. It's nationwide. What are the, what are the good like states here? What are the, what are the good places in the country that are just a plus across the board in democracy? Not a, not, not a ton. Well, uh, let's start talking about baseball again, but before we do, let's take a break. My name is Steve Granato. I'm a baseball fanatic living in Orange County, California. I grew up going to Dodgers and Angels games, and eventually I became a baseball broadcaster. Drill to right. This ball's got a chance. If it's fair, it is gone. But there's always been one thing weighing on me. My heritage. I'm Mexican-American. And proud of it. My family history dates back generations in this country. As far as I can tell before this land was even the United States. But I don't even really speak Spanish. I love tamales and tacos, but hate menudo and mole. One day I thought, why don't Latinos have our own Jackie Robinson? That one question led to this. It's Our Game, the podcast that sought out to find the Latino Jackie Robinson, but then found out that the answer was way more complicated. Okay, Alex, the real regular season is back in full swing, which means three up, three down is making its triumphant return. Three up, three down, the, the same version that we did last year. You know, that, we're, doing it, we're doing it exactly like we did last year. Whether or not I remembered that is a different question, but I'm ready for the whatever version we are doing. I have a question. I'm here. I'm Do you remember a yeah. single up or down that you did last year? I mean, you barely remember that we did, did the segment, so I would be surprised if you did. Do you remember a single up or down? Like, I just, uh, had to be Tatis the whole time. Like, it right. had to just be Tatis every week. Yeah, no. The answer is no. I thought about it for about 15 seconds, and I can't, I can't remember, remember that. Yeah, neither. Do you want to start with up That's, or down? Let's do up. That was a, that was a big, uh, that was a big down down-ish conversation we just have so yeah. uh down-ish. so you want to <laughs> put it in the podcast description down at tipping pitches colon downish uh yeah i'll start with up let's go uh my first up is 
the fact that Francisco Lindor signed the extension. You hear about this? You hear about the extension? You hear the the first fifteen minutes of this podcast? Do you remember that way back when? He plays a he plays a mean shortstop. He sure does. I ate chicken parm on Friday night to celebrate the Lindor extension. That's. Are you familiar with the joke? No. This is deep cut Mets Twitter stuff. When uh, when Cohen and Lindor got dinner to talk about the extension, Cohen ordered ravioli and he tweeted that the ravioli was bad. Mm-hmm. And so then DeComo asked Lindor what he ate at the dinner and whether it was good or not. And Lindor said, I had chicken parm. I thought my dinner was great. It's a great there dinner. There you go. <laughs> I so now every year when the when the the contract kicks in every year opening day it's going to be a chicken parm day for your boy. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a rookie mistake on Steve Cohen's part ordering ravioli because ravioli is bad or because like yes (laughs) yes yes let's talk about Italian food for a hot sec ravioli way overrated stuffed shells super overrated yeah cannelloni better. Just that's, regular it pasta. That's the take. Better. <laughs> Better. I think okay, ra- there we go. Ravioli is so hard to execute unless you're making it fresh or like you're at a restaurant where you know they make it fresh back there and they got the right mm-hmm. ratio of pasta to filling. It's probably just going to be a bunch of pasta that falls apart. Yep. Ravioli, overrated. Three up, three down. Okay. What's up for you? Market inefficiency right there. Was back with more ravioli takes next week. Uh, first up for me this week. I already mentioned his name on the podcast, but Jazz Chisholm. Nice. The I knew you were going to put him, so I didn't put him on my list. Yes, good. That's uh, that's good co-host energy. That's right called there. chemistry right there. He's so fun. Jazz Chisholm, in case y'all, the listeners, are not aware, new Miami Marlins superstar, top prospect, came over from the Arizona Diamondbacks, has some gorgeous blue locks. That he was uh that he's been showing off this opening weekend and is the fastest man alive. Yeah. I, I show me show me otherwise. Show me proof otherwise. Stole stole second base staring Rich Hill in the eyes. Rich Hill was looking at him when he stole second base. And then he proceeded to steal third base and then tagged up and scored home. So I I mean, is he the best player in baseball? Um. Uh, uh. I don't know. Eighty grade name. That's uh, that's all I'm gonna say. Eighty grade name. Eighty grade gifts. That's a large part of the equation for me. Yes. Yes. He definitely uh should not have gone undrafted in the gift draft. Uh, Chisholm is such an interesting player. Part of one of the more interesting trades in the last five years. He was traded from Arizona to Miami for Zach Gallen. Straight up. Now Zach Gallen has. Had more of a big league career so far. And he's he was a very popular pick to be a breakout Cy Young contender this year because of peripheral number, spin rate, uh, profiles very similarly to guys who have broken out in the last few years, uh, like Shane Bieber. But Chisholm is a different type of exciting. Uh, he had probably more bust potential than, than Zach Allen, but Miami... Right, much much less of a track record. Right, exactly. And is a position player. So like there there is always more bust potential injuries aside in someone who might get to the league and not be able to hit MLB off speed. If you have a pitcher who throws 99 with a good breaking ball, like he's probably going to be at least league average when he gets as a prospect. He's probably going to get up to the majors and be at least league average. 
um, if his elbow doesn't melt into a million pieces like you know every Angels uh, pitching prospect for the last decade. Wonder if there's anything going on there. Maybe just check that out. Uh, no, but such an interesting trade and a, a trade that I, I, I just want to say I, I love challenge trades. Like exactly, this. so a trade that at one, the time one for was one. so cool and is one of the few trades that I think really could work out like for both teams. If I mean, yeah. Gallon might not be part of a good Diamondbacks team because I don't know what the fuck they're doing as an organization. They have no plan. Um, but. For him to get up to the big leagues, focusing on him specifically as a person, as a player, he is put the camera on me electric. He's sliding all the way through home plate, basically to the back half of the the grass circle there. And he's looking up and trying to find the camera, looking up to his teammates, making funny faces. He gave a really great postgame interview the other day, which I'll, I'll play a quick clip of right here. Satisfying was it to hear the roar of the crowd in that big moment? I mean, the crowd is, I mean, it's astonishing. I mean, I, I want to be a big leaguer every day of my life now. Like after the first night and bases was loaded in the first inning and I saw Sandy Alcantara strike out. I can't remember who was hitting, but he struck him out and I heard the crowd roar. I went inside the dugout and completely like zoned out and told all my teammates, I was like, this is amazing. What's going on? I haven't had this many fans ever. So you can just hear, you can hear the excitement. You can hear the youth-like love for the game from Chisholm. And uh, best name in baseball? Jazz? Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay. What's next on your list? So this was the spot that I was going to put Jazz in, but I knew that you were going to choose him just based on, you know, knowing you. Doing this podcast. Uh, doing for, this podcast for <laughs> three and a half years, four years. Basically doing this podcast unrecorded for three years before that. Right. Uh, so I chose Taylor, I chose Taylor Trammell, uh, nice. who made his MLB debut at the beginning of this season. He was part of the Austin Nola. Trammell was the big return piece to Seattle for that trade. And uh, he's a really interesting, fun guy with a big personality. But he made his MLB debut and he didn't get a hit in his in the first game. Second game, hit uh second game he finally got on the board, a double to the gap, and his reaction was pretty priceless. And I know that you are a connoisseur of MLB debuts and MLB first hits. So I know that you probably saw this and enjoyed it, but he, he hit a double to the gap. He realized what had happened. Cause I'm sure when you when you get the hit, the first thought is not oh my God, that's my first time we hit. The first thought yeah. is, I got to get my wheels on, you know? Uh, I got to get I gotta get to second. I can't get thrown out. Um, and so he has kind of like a blank expression on his face when he turns back to the first base coach to go trade his batting gloves for his uh, hand protector because he's a base stealer. Uh, and then I guess someone says something to him or he realizes what has happened and he breaks out into the biggest smile. And after the game ended, he quote tweeted the highlight of this exact thing and said, you guys could see me try to play it cool for the first little bit. But then I, I kind of gave in and just kind of absorbed the moment. And man, if that shit doesn't make you happy to watch as a baseball fan, then you're not really a baseball fan in my view. Big facts. He is already putting up star level gifts, getting it done in the outfield with with beautiful catches, getting it done at the plate, on the bases. Damn, Seattle Mariners, sneaky fun. 
super fun. Really? Like, like not even sneaky fun, just like really fun. Yeah. Call up Kellenic, cowards. Yeah. Shouts out to your boy, Jordan Schusterman. Okay, what's next for you? Uh, next for me is the uh, the clip of the interview that Bo Bichette gave uh, on ESPN during the uh, Blue Jays-Yankees game on opening day. Apparently, Bichette is a bit of a musical artist himself. Oh. And so uh, it does seem to be a trend. We, uh, yeah, Bo Bichette, Yohan Mankata mashup. Let's go. I'm into it. Call Ravitch. This is a pre-recorded interview. Ravitch is talking with Bichette and puts him on the spot a bit and says, okay, can you, uh, can you sing something for us right now? And I mean, if I was asked to do that, I don't know what the hell I would do. Bichette seems similarly taken aback Alex by the question. busts out into the front bottom song live on ESPN. <laughs> well, at least you get a prompt. That was a prompt, right? Like, I mean, it's, it would be harder to say, hey, bust out into a song of yours right now over Zoom. No music, just acapella. Hit it. Let's go. So Bichette, not quite knowing what to do, starts singing the chorus of uh, Peaches, the new Justin Bieber song. Yeah. I got my peaches out in Georgia. Oh, yeah, that's... I got my week in California. That's that. There you go. That's, That's awesome. That so B- Bichette has, you know, beautiful singing voice. He had to uh, censor himself a couple times there. In in ver- It seemed like he was kind of censoring it as he went. Like he hadn't really thought it through ahead of time, clearly. Didn't censor the part about getting his weed from California. Let's go. TSPN just kind of let that one go. That's cool. My favorite part about this interaction MLB doesn't test for weed come on we know that we know that it's cool (laughs) my favorite part of the uh, the interaction is Carl Ravitch following that up with wow so so you just did you just like kind of write that on your own well like what was the inspiration for that and Bo Bichette has to coyly say no I I didn't write that Carl that's Justin that's Justin Bieber I almost wish he would have pretended like he did write it Yes, just I know. keep keep the bit going. Make Carl feel really, really silly when he gets home and realizes that it was a Justin Bieber song, <laughs> or he looks at his phone and realizes that somebody texted him, being like, "No, Carl, that was a Justin Bieber song." Right, of course, plenty of people sending him TikToks with the with the audio. But all that to say, I guess we got to be keeping an eye out on Bobachet for when his single drops. Yeah, you know that we're gonna have to. We talked about Moncadas on here, so. So we're going to have to talk about Bichette's, of course. I support it. And frankly, I think that you should sing something on the pod right now. Hmm. Oh, say can. <laughs> Boo, shut him off. <laughs> shut him off. No, no. My third thing this week, Alex, is a simple one. And you already kind of alluded to it. I have just derived a lot of joy from, um, I just realized that we never explained what this segment is for new listeners. it's fine it's pretty self-explanatory things we like things we don't three things that brought us joy three things that took our joy away wow we're in mid-season form already i'm sorry to all Uh of our new listeners who joined us this offseason thank you so much by the way uh tweeted us tell us what episode was your first episode and why um that would be great but my third thing this week that's been bringing me a lot of joy i've derived so much joy from all of the people tweeting at us when a good gif happens Mm-hmm. people tweeting us Co- Cody Bellinger gifts people tweeting us the gif of the cat running through the outfield people tweeting us Jazz Chisholm sliding through home plate people tweeting us I don't even know what else a, a myriad of things um, it's been so so 
so rewarding for people to show us the joy that they have been feeling and for us to get to participate in that alongside you guys. Uh, man, I'm just very happy baseball is back. I'm happy that we even have gifts to pass around with our best friends on the internet. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we're really counting on you, the listeners, to hold us accountable this year for, uh, for, for gift discussions gift rankings we, we are, the tradition has largely been the last few years for us to do the gift draft at the beginning of the year and then never broach the subject again but uh this this may finally be the year that we you know keep up the bit but we we need your help as always so please keep sending them our way i do think that if this is something that listeners would be interested in at the end of the year we should ask the participants from the gift draft to nominate the best gift of the player Mm-hmm. that they selected and to then put them in a bracket against each other on Twitter and see who comes out on top. I feel great about our squad, but anything could happen. You know, March Madness style, you have one, you have one gift that transcends them all. Yeah. From fucking Trevor Bauer. We're past the 45 minute mark. <laughs> then we're going to lose to Trevor Bauer, Alex. So Trevor Bauer is not a Cinderella. That is not that is not the guy who's going to carry that team. Okay, whatever. Uh, your third up this week. Uh, my third up is the Chicago White Sox alluding, pretending, suggesting <laughs> the idea that Eloy Jimenez died. Now, when I say it like that, it does not sound very funny. Eloy Jimenez is fine. He is alive. He uh, he injured himself in a spring training game against the A's, actually, uh, trying to rob a home run. He his arm got stuck over the wall. It's it was not a great video. He has a pectoral injury. He's going to be out for much of the season. And so obviously, Sox fans and the team are disappointed in this sort of thing. And so the White Sox tweeted out a picture of Eloy's uh, jersey hanging in his locker, and the whole team has signed it. And it's no no picture of Eloy. It's just the jersey with a with a heart emoji. Now that in itself suggests, wow, something terrible here has has happened. What is it that's gone on? If you don't know, you may suggest something grave has befallen Mr. Jimenez. The White Sox not really interested in quelling anyone's fears, followed it up with a tweet of Jose Abreu holding the jersey on the field with the caption with us tonight and always. <laughs> he might come back this year. He Like, he's hurt. I love the supposition I, that anybody who's injured and not playing is, like, with you, you know, mm-hmm. in spirit. Like, it's just an injury. I mean, I know it's sad. I, I really wish Eloy did not get hurt this year. He was going to be part of a really fun White Sox team. But, like, everybody gets injured, man. I don't know what to tell yeah. you. He. Mm-hmm. Save the with us tonight and always for actual tragedies. Can you imagine the Mets tweeting out like, you know, every six weeks, Travis Darno is with us tonight and always. Um, he broke his hand, but he will he is here in spirit. They would feel really stupid because Travis Darno is against us tonight and always because well, he that's, is freaking that's raking for Atlanta mm-hmm. ever since the Mets <laughs> DFA'd him. Uh wow. Prying at old wounds. On the first episode of the season, Alex, that's brutal. Had to do. It. Had to bring it down a notch a little bit from, yeah. from the from the Lindor news. Okay, whatever. At least my team's not starting zero and four. Oh, ouch! Got him. 
I I like that sometimes we just pretend like we're uh negging each other's teams even though we both root for each other's teams like pretty openly. We we have to do it. Keep each other honest a little bit. Okay, should we talk about our downs this week and then get out of here? Yeah. Uh my first down this week uh came to me when I was watching the Yankees game earlier today and one of the broadcasters said they were talking about Trent Thornton, Blue Jays starter reliever starting out of the bullpen for this season. Uh, and they were saying that he has a good fastball and he's in the top 15% of the league in spin rate. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because he's not very good. Um, he hasn't uh, been able to prevent runs, which is the primary function of pitching. And that's fine. But they were talking about his spin rate. And one of the announcers said, because his velo is probably about like 95. You know, He doesn't throw crazy hard or anything like that. Uh, especially given the current climate of velocity in baseball. And they were like, well, his velo- his spin rate is very high on his curveball and his fastball. And they were like, obviously there's a difference between velocity and spin rate. And I'm purposely not saying anything after that because neither did the announcers. <laughs> they didn't say what the difference was. And they didn't say qualitatively why it matters that you have a high spin rate. They were just like, his spin rate is high. And obviously there's a difference between that and his velocity. And then they moved on. and. I just think that it's so weird the way that announcers other advanced stats now because they've very clearly gotten a directive from the producers and from just baseball media in general. They have a mandate to kind of fold some of these advanced numbers, analytics, uh, peripheral data into their broadcast, but they just haven't really totally figured out what to do with it. and. I think it's useful to know when a reliever comes in has a high spin rate because it's useful in the context of knowing why a team would still employ that reliever if he's been bad at preventing runs because they think that they can fix him. They think that there's peripheral data suggesting that in the long run, a high spin rate fastball, which means that it's one that holds a good plane and appears to the batter as if it is rising because that's what a spin rate does. It keeps a pitch on plane or it moves a pitch aggressively off plane in the case of a curveball, in which case the ball is spinning differently. I think that all of that stuff is really useful to know, but it's super awkward and super evident when announcers just feel like they got provided a bit of analytic analytical data and they have to say it because they don't know what else to say about it. And then they just move on to make cracking jokes after that. I kind of think it's okay to just like shoot the shit a little bit. Like, just be be easy and laid back and talk about the baseball game when you feel like doing that and don't press so much to feel the need to bring up advanced statistics if it's not your style because there are announcers who do it really well so like i think that we can have multiple flavors of broadcast in which some people are bringing up spin rate and exit velocity and stat cast data about how far or how far an outfielder had to travel and what their route to the ball was. All of that stuff can definitely add to a broadcast, but I do find it somewhat um, awkward, for lack of a better word, when the when the announcers just don't contextualize it or don't frankly seem interested in the fact that they had to say it. Yeah, I think that we are kind of in the midst of, and have been in the midst of the last few years, this transition period as broadcasts and broadcasters and teams just in general kind of st- try and figure out how to 
explain and introduce these concepts that have obviously been around for for a while in the the sabermetrics community, but maybe have not been embraced by fans. But obviously, as the game trends more and more that direction, you need to fans kind of you know it's kind of like you need to you need to get on board a little bit, you know, adapt or die, as as one Brad Pitt masquerading as Billy Bean said. Yeah, at a, so at a certain point, it's like uninformed to not talk about it, right? Intentionally exactly. ignorant to not talk about it. Yeah, I agree. And and so, like you were saying, I, I don't necessarily expect announcers to be the most adept at explaining these concepts because they may be new to to them as well. They may just be handed a sheet with some leaderboards on it that has a note scribbled in the margins or whatever. So I think that we are going to continue to experience some growing pains with regards to that. And I, you know, I have to give them some level of credit for actually wanting to broach that subject, you know, watching ESPN broadcasts and they are putting OPS plus and noting below it that average is a hundred. That's, that's really important context for viewers. That's really, that matters. I think Oftentimes, many announcers fall into the trap of just stating a number, yeah, and that doesn't do it. Doesn't do a lot. Of it. Saying, "Wow, yeah, this guy's spin rate was twenty four hundred. Isn't that isn't that crazy? And that's Bobby? a two one count, <laughs> <laughs> and so that'll make it a four nothing ball game." Cassiano's home run again today, by the way. Poor Jen is just going to be inundated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh yeah, I mean anyway, it, I mean it seems my, so my nitpicky. Heart. It seems so nitpicky, <laughs> right. and I'm not my even heart, honestly. I'm not even trying to say it's the announcer's fault necessarily. I don't think I know, that yeah. they're being put in the best situations because it's interesting to talk about a pitcher's spin rate when it's part of the pitcher's portfolio. But when the pitcher is throwing a fastball that just misses outside, it's not interesting to say that was a high spin rate fastball because <laughs> to the yeah. to the average viewer that doesn't matter. Like, did they hit it or not? But when you're talking about a reliever that a team has bought into, invested in, when you're talking about a guy like Seth Lugo, who the Mets clearly think is the best reliever that they have because part of that portfolio involves a very, very high spin rate curveball, like the highest in baseball. Wait, and that's a reason. Seth Lugo has a high spin rate? Seth on Lugo, his high spin rate curveball. Seth, remember that. Write that down. You heard it here first. Never heard it before. Yeah, exactly. You've never heard of that before ever anywhere else except tipping pitches. We're the guys who are going to provide you the at the vanguard of spin rate info about Seth Lugo. Um, no, but that is interesting Like for the announcers to say, hey, that curveball is not just hard to hit because it moves this much. It's hard to hit because it's high spin rate and it that causes it to appear like it's dropping at the last second to the from the batter's perspective. More context like that would be, I think, qualitatively interesting on a broadcast, but... It's going to be, they're going to be some growing pains, and we're probably going to, uh, you know, chronicle some of those growing pains as they are uniquely evident on broadcasts, especially national broadcasts throughout the season. Okay. I took up a ton of time with my first down. Um, but that's, that's, that's fine. I think it's an interesting thing to, to track. Uh, what is your first down this, this week? Well, I will, um, I will then kind of, kind of go off that, uh, continue to talk about, Poorly telegraphing information to viewers. Yes, and MLB talk about, TV hours. Actually, no. Oh, no. oh. I, I, well, that doesn't count because they're not telegraphing any information to many viewers. 
<laughs> no, I would like to talk about, and I am not the first person to bring this up. So, you know, pardon me to everyone else who had this conversation, but the new Bally Sports scorebug. <laughs> Bally Sports is oh, now my God. what was Fox, the, the Fox Sports I want to treat Bally networks. Sports like Voldemort. Like, don't talk about it. It gives it more power. Like, can we just not <laughs> talk about Bally Sports? Bally, Bally, the casino, Bally Sports, the scorebug, Bally Sports. It really, it really threw me actually watching it appear on opening day because I had obviously heard the news that this was happening, that the regional sports networks were kind of going away, but I hadn't really internalized what that would look like broadcast to broadcast. Much of it, obviously, you're still watching a baseball game. And here's the part of the podcast where I try and explain a visual thing in an audio medium, but the score bug, the literal thing that tells you the balls and the strikes and the scores and who's on base is not good. I'm sorry. Very graphic design is my passion. (laughs) It exactly is. There is a lot of blank space. You cannot, it's impossible to tell how many outs there are because there are only two little dots that indicate outs. And they're either filled or they're not. They're either black or they're white. But does does one black dot mean, uh, does one black dot mean an out? Does two black dots mean there's two outs or does it mean there's no outs? What is the, how does this work? Half of the score bug so it stretches across the bottom of the screen, you know, kind of like the uh, like the ones you would see in like whatever two thousand four, yeah, similar like Fox would have, uh-huh. right? Except half of it is not the score; it's just I'm other news. Deeply enjoying you explaining what this looks like to listeners. <laughs> I keep <laughs> well, going, keep going. It's hard to do because guess what? There's a lot going on there. Yeah, you're right. I have two games going right now. One of them has the Valley Sports bug, and one of them doesn't. And the one on the left just looks like a high school game. The fun part is, and you may notice this if you are looking at the the screen right now, is that the, there is the score bug, and then there is just a just a gray bar below it, just like some space, you know, just letting the score bug breathe, <laughs> like a decal. Is, yeah, exactly. It's like two toned. I feel very like old man yells at cloud about this sort of thing, talking about like, you know, design of baseball broadcasts. I trust me when I say. I probably couldn't do a better job, but also... No, you could. You you could. Alex is a great graphic designer. No bullshit. Legitimately a good graphic designer. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank thank you. All I'm saying is, like, you had this whole rebrand planned out, and it looks like you invested, like, seven bucks into this sort of thing, (laughs) so... This goes very nicely with one of my downs this week, so I'll cut straight to that. Great. Let's do it. It's part of the whole trend of turning over way too much power to weird companies that nobody really uh, should have in their lives this much. Segways on segways on segways. Bally Sports doesn't affect my life until now when it like weirdly I can't escape it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like it's a casino but now they own like 50% of MLB TV real estate. It's very weird to go from I never thought about Bally Sports before this to now, the only thing that I can think about is ballet sports and people talking about the weird gray bar underneath of the score bug. Um, and the same thing goes for stadium rights renaming. And that's one of my <laughs> downs this week is Lone Depot Park. I'm just going to say that again. Lone Depot Park. And I'm not trying to be too pointy-headed about this. Like I'm not, I'm not going to get on here and be like, this is exactly what's wrong with MLB, Alex. Here's coming up next. I'm going to oh, tell you. You won't. I will. I'm going to tell you why Lone Depot Park 
signifies the death of Major League Baseball. I'm not going to do that's, that. That's lowercase loan, capital depot, lowercase park to you. Whatever. Okay, whatever, 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 whatever. I'm not even going to talk about the capitalization. I'm going to talk about how ridiculous it is that these weird companies who do bad things just get to name stadiums. What? This will be the last time I ever call it Loan Depot Park because I noticed that someone I follow who works at Defector, previously worked at Deadspin, pointed out that they have never used these weird stadium naming rights. They've never referred to them by the real stadium name. They just refer to it as Marlins Park, Mets Park, Yankee Stadium, whatever it is that they actually do for each individual one. And no one has given a shit because it actually makes way more sense to not have to know which park is Loan Depot Park or guaranteed yeah. rate field or American Airlines Arena. I'm going to one True, truest so is one. I'm going to ones that aren't even in this sport, but I bet the listener didn't even catch that cuz there are right. two different American Airlines arenas. I just think it's so stupid. Yeah, we really we are past the prime of like stadium names. You know, it was what I really around the turn of the century, I think I'm I'm talking out of my ass here. So, you know, as we do on tipping pitches, but you? The no. team, <laughs> but that, you know, we moved away from stadium names that incorporated the team somehow. And it just totally became, you know, now the A's play at Ring Central. I mean No, they don't. The, <laughs> no, they don't, right? But Let's I'm, take but I'm back power the- <laughs> here, Alex. Let's use language as power here and refuse Reclaim to say the Oakland Coliseum. I'm reclaiming Marlins Park. Lone Depot doesn't exist to me or anyone else. We're talking it out of existence as opposed to speaking things into existence now. So how how are we feeling about City Field? Great question. Big bank guy you. over here. <laughs> Half of my family calls it Shea still. They don't know what City Field is. So I, it's just, That's okay. fair. It's okay. I respect that. Um, okay, what's what's next for you? What's next down for you? To all those people who listen to us and, and love Lone Depot as a company, I'm very sorry for that slanderous segment that we just did. Yeah. It has it reflects nothing about you. All loan, maybe all if you loan love companies loan are way above board. They're very good for the world, and definitely not um, weirdly dystopian indicators of late capitalism. Right, capitalizing on the suffering of others. Anyway, we love that. That's the Miami Marlins for you. Um, next down on my list is the rule that I about the sport that I love and pretend to know a lot about. Yep. And I think we maybe discussed this on the, uh, on a recent podcast, but, as uh, the runner on second rule didn't, didn't realize that was going into effect this year, but nope. boy, have I noticed it now. Me either. And boy, am I still not a fan thought things maybe would change, you know, and maybe they still will. There's still a full baseball season of this for me to adapt to it. Nope. So far. Not a fan. It's going to be a no for me, dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's where I apologize for not being a very informative or newsy podcast because I, I'm pretty sure at multiple times in the offseason we said that this rule is not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and I just got to wear this one, man. I was wrong. I thought it wasn't coming back and it's back. I thought that it was that part of the whole group of, of rules. I thought that it was part of the whole group of rules like Universal DH where they were just going to have to hammer this one out in labor negotiations. And it probably would come back in the next CBA, but at least for this year, we were going back to the only real version of baseball that we know, which is no runner on second in extras and nine inning games and 10 playoff teams. I thought we were going back to all the same stuff that feel familiar. Um, But, you know, here we are. 
talking about how we're afraid of change and can't adapt. It really, yeah. It really, I think, stood out to myself and many other baseball fans because there were four games that went into extra innings on opening day, and all of them ended in the 10th because this is what this rule does, right? Is expedites the finish of these games. Real Topeka hours here. Real ra- sports radio Topeka hours. It's not fucking yeah. baseball, dude. This is not fucking baseball. I don't like no one can ever convince me that this is baseball. I now fully understand all of those psycho NL people who were like, I am going to riot because they put the DH in the AL. Yeah, okay. I, I apples to oranges oranges slightly, but you know, it reminds me of what is it? The uh now I'm gonna really show my ass and show how much I know nothing about other sports. But isn't the, is it the college football rule? Maybe it's the professional football rule where they like start just start you from a certain yard line that's yeah. pretty close to the end zone, yeah, and then you just football. go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that one's sounds cool, like though. that. That one's I don't cool. Know much that one's that. cool though because that's the only one I remember. It never had to change, and I never had to adapt to it. <laughs> so that one is good. So maybe in thirty years we'll be like, yeah, I don't remember when this wasn't a thing in baseball. No, sure. no, this is planting a deep-seated anxiety in my soul about mm-hmm. things changing and me losing grasp of them. Well, it's I'm just, never it going feels to like to this one. It feels like it takes away from actually a really fun part of the game, which are these like long inning, these long contests that are incredibly rare. I know that we have already like whined about it on this podcast, and I don't want to eat up too much time because we're already close to an hour and a half in. Close to an hour and a half in, or whatever it is, when you cut out all of our bullshit. But I, I know like, I cut out all those I'm pro gonna, owner rants that you did for really like fifteen minutes. So that was insane. <laughs> Why did you do that? When I came out as being in favor of Loan Depot, when you announced uh, that you were going to work for Steve Cohen's capital fund, that was weird. My point being, like, I'm gonna miss seventeen inning games, you know, which happen with for the A's like once or twice a year. Not a regular occurrence, not really changing anything about anyone's, any passing fans' baseball experience, but for people, for especially online baseball fans who like staying up until 1 a.m. watching baseball games that are just pure chaos, that's like bliss. Yeah. And we're largely robbed of that at this point. I just hate it because as a former pitcher myself, Alex. (laughs) No, it's it's stupid. (laughs) I like how you didn't even call me out for that. As a former pitcher myself, if this happened to me when I was 12, right? Yeah. I would have been pissed. Cuz I just gave up a run that and first of all, right. Unearned runs is your team backstabbing you. And now an unearned run is the league backstabbing me. The league not looking out for me. We're already mm-hmm. talking about oh, we want more home runs, we're going to juice the ball, and now you're going to two-time pitchers again with this bullshit. Oh, I give up a single. I lost the game for my team. Imagine what it might do to your confidence. Now I'm getting serious. Like, that sucks. That sucks. It's stupid. And it's uh, such an unforced error. Okay, my final thing. Agreed. An an unforced error. That's an unearned run right there. Just another one. League is racking them up. Okay, bring us home. My final thing was going to be MLB TV. Uh, nice. I just renew my frustrations every year with it. It's just one of the just worst like, services. Just like, you, just like MLB TV renews your subscription. Yep, exactly. It was just like MLB TV withdraws from my account every year. Um, <laughs> it always seems like it's earlier and earlier. It's like you, March 3rd, you look down and you're like, oh. There it goes, $128 or whatever the fuck it costs. Uh, 
it's not interesting or cool or unique or even particularly entertaining for a guy on a podcast to complain about a service that doesn't work how he wants it to work. But I find myself shocked every single time I turn on this service and it fails in a different way. It's almost like they're trying to make something that doesn't work. Yeah. And, and, and. You do have to start to one, not to get all tinfoil hat. You You do have to wonder. (laughs) You do not in any case have to hand it to them, but you do have to wonder (laughs) because they sold this service for, need I remind you, $4 billion Mm. to Disney. And I guess Disney has not quite had the upkeep that MLB Advanced Media had on the service. And it fucking shows. It shows. I love to actually turn on a game. I'm not even going to talk about blackouts right now. I'm going to save that for a different point in the season when I want to go watch the Dodgers Padres and camp. I'll save it for then. Trust me, I'll have that rant. But I'm talking when I just want to watch a baseball game and I look up and every six seconds it's freezing and then going back and then freezing and then going back and then freezing and then going back. And it's not because the internet here. The internet is working just fine. We have been crystal clear for this entire podcast. It's just not a good service with bad coding and a bad Mm -hmm. interface that you can't make full screen when you want to watch more than one game without some weird browser extension and you can't block that stupid ad that plays the same guitar riff that rings throughout my head every time there is silence in my life what are they doing alex can we move on i I didn't i enjoyed booting up my roku tv on opening day and navigating over to the mlb tv app and it's saying, there's an error. Not, try again later. Just try no, again later. No, no context. No get help. No learn more. Just, yeah, it's not working. Go fuck yourself and try again in an hour. Just kindly go fuck yourself, though. <laughs> exactly. Don't go fuck yourself to the point where you actually put in the request because we won't answer you. So don't even bother fucking yourself in that way. Just fuck yourself nicely by yourself alone. And don't, yes. don't whine to us about it. Why would you think that you would be entitled to all 162 games of your team? Especially if you live in the same market as them. Okay, let's move on. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Okay. All right. My last one is actually one that I really have have not noticed the effects of thus far this season. And so perhaps it's a little premature to discuss this, that sort of thing. You're just getting out ahead of it. Yeah, I am getting out ahead of it. And it's something that strangely, or maybe not strangely, given our, you know, lack of knowledge surrounding... Astrophysics, or just general physics. Don't speak for me. <laughs> it's the juiced ball, yeah, which may or may not be juiced this year. It is really interesting to me that we're on our fourth straight year of just a slightly different baseball, but no one quite knows what's different about it. Some pitchers can kind of tell; you, they can feel that the seams are maybe a little bit bigger. And that part itself is really funny to me because as much as MLB is wringing its hands about strikeouts, it just gave pitchers a tool that makes it easier for them to get strikeouts. So sure, yeah, (laughs) that adds up. And then... My favorite part of the pitchers element of this, I'll I'll let you continue in a second, is that like 85% of them have been blue-pilled into not saying anything about it because they're afraid that MLB is going to get mad at them for saying the ball is different. Mm -hmm. And then the ones that are red-pilled are like not shutting the fuck up about it on YouTube. Like Snell the God. Yeah. And then there's the the impact on hitters, right? And home runs, which, again, the jury's still kind of out on that. Like, yeah. uh, the, the, the 
there is increased drag on the ball. So some home runs that would be home runs maybe aren't anymore, but also the ball kind of goes farther and comes off the bat yes, harder. The bounciness. So it does. So it's more bouncy. So the ball goes farther in some regards. Back to square one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I just again, this has not impacted my viewing in any way. So it's it's maybe pointless to me for me to be talking about this. I just think it's objectively funny that one of the major storylines in baseball is how a key element of the game changes year to year and no one seemingly including major league baseball can actually figure out what that means or how it impacts the game (laughs) i love it i think it's like a fun surprise when you're like what baseball are we gonna get this year they should do like circular bases in 2022 yeah you know or maybe like metal bats i think one year they should make the first baseline 150 feet yeah or like or like a little curve in it yeah you know yeah like a little squiggle, or like it's like an a S big to hole, first base, like a, like a like a moat, you know, like a couple steps out of the box, and you have to jump over it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that where I'm at with the ball is that I'm just going to accept the fact that it's always changed, and we just never had people who were smart enough or paid close enough attention to the astrophysics of it to actually catch MLB in the act. So, like '90s steroid era, ball was juiced as fuck. And we just yeah. had a couple people who were juicing and hitting 70 home runs, but everybody else was hitting a lot of home runs too, and we weren't paying quite as much attention to them because Mark McGuire was hitting 70 home runs a year. I don't know. I, yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement Tinker with that. Tinker or Rob They're, can't stop. He can't help himself. He just has to I change know, something and, every single year. And this is like, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. I don't want to have this conversation, but I will just mention the fact that this is very like emblematic of Major League Baseball's desire to control every single aspect of the game. And at some point you just kind of have to like throw your hands up and say, these are athletic men playing against other athletic men. And there are going to be some things that from my cushy little corporate office, I just can't control. Yeah, you're right. Um, like I do a, like you and I getting on here every week and ranting about Rob Manfred. There's not a damn thing he can do about that. Nope, nope, nope. Can't stop us, Rob. Can't stop once up. Uh, I think it's particularly hilarious that they said that they took some juice out of the ball and then they were like, but in practice, it might be mean more home runs. And we're like, what? What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's enough. That's enough. We have all season to talk about the ball. We have all season to talk about rule changes. We have all season to talk about MLB TV. But of course, we have taken so much of your time this week talking about those things again. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the first episode of this baseball season. I wish you and your teams all the best, unless you're the Red Sox, in which case I wish that you lose the first 30 games of the baseball season. Alex, anything else to leave the people with? I just want to say, if you have thoughts, maybe it's thoughts about Steve Cohen giving Lindor an extension. Maybe it is thoughts about the Braves owner and his political donations. Maybe it is thoughts about a bouncy ball and whether they should use tennis balls next year, please hit our voicemail line, 785-422-5881. We will play it on the pod. We didn't get too many this week because, you know, it's fucking opening week, y'all. Everybody's got to be us. Yeah, everybody's busy. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that open season will continue during the baseball season, trust me. We'll, we'll need stuff to talk about in the doldrums of ju- late, late July and that, August. That, that we will. <laughs> 
so we'll be milking our listeners for content um thank you for listening and we will be back next week hello everybody uh i'm alex rodriguez tipping pitches this is the one that i love the most so we'll see you next week see ya